You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 12 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. With me, as usual, are Neil Glover. Hello. Hello. And Jen Robertson. Hello. Hola. Oh, very good. You get into practice, Jen, for later in the summer. Was that was that a Spanish hola or a Bolivian Spanish hola? Mm. Well, it's Bolivian Spanish speakers that are teaching me. I don't know if there's any difference in hola, though. <laughs> that yeah. sounded, you sound very confident. I think you'll get on very well in Bolivia. That's I, my I, I love. I, I have this fantasy, Jen, that one day, like five years from now, you'll go to Spain, Spain, and you'll start speaking Spanish, and someone <laughs> say to you, are you Bolivian? Yeah, that'd be so great. Uh, uh. Uh, well, <laughs> that was so great. Early days. Good. Well, it's lovely to see you both. Um, now, correspondence-wise, we don't have all that much this week. We uh, don't forget that we are still soliciting your thoughts, listeners, on the length of the podcast. So we have had one email about that from our regular correspondent Elizabeth. Uh, she has said, actually, quite helpfully, she said, "Yes, the podcast is long, but I just split it up." So well you know, it said. might be that you think like, too, it's too long, but actually you can, as Elizabeth yeah. does, just, just split up. Uh, not this week, though, as I wanted to keep the whole story together. And it did go on rather, she says. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, the beginning chat is good. So that, that bodes well for this bit. Then there's Glover's off. <laughs> she doesn't make any comment on that. Then there's the takeaway. Nine minutes, it all adds up. Very helpful. Right. Thank you, Elizabeth. That's that's helpful from you. Anybody else who has anything to say about that, then please do get in touch. Neil, I think you saw a regular listener this week. Yeah, I saw William Wilson, who always makes us smile, doesn't he, whenever we mention his name. Uh, he's the he's Jen's minister. And he and I, it, it was really nice in a poignant way. We did a, a funeral together for a lady who had been born in Aberfeldy, um, lived in Burnside and Camus Lang for many years. And then um, was he lived laterally in, in Aberfeld and very laterally back down in Burnside again. But she straddled our two communities and uh, her burial, her funeral service was in Burnside, but her burial was in Aberfeld. And William came up and uh, we had a, a nice sandwich together and he brought a nice Marks and Spencer's cake. And he said how much he appreciates the podcast because he listens to it. Uh, when he goes out for a walk, I think you've already said this before, Jen, before he goes for a walk with his dog on a Sunday morning, yeah. listens to the podcast and gets himself ready for church. <laughs> so William, hope church goes well this morning. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So don't forget, you can let us know your thoughts. You can email outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or obviously contact us via social media. Now, today we're going to be talking about John chapter 11. That is on pages 35 and 36 of the Light and Life Gospel. It's also bookended by two lovely photographs, which uh, I suppose lead us into kind of thinking about tombs and resurrection and all, all the things that we'll be talking about. Um, so that's page 35, 36. It is a chapter where a chain of immediate events links us into the ultimate smashing of the chains of death, injustice and sin for all. Before all of that, though, it is time once again for Glover's Off. Glover's Off this week is about the Munros. Um, how many Munros have you both done? None. None? None I've at all? done about... I hate walking. Do One. you? <laughs> yeah. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> and I've reached an age where I'm not even, you know, I'm not even going to pretend. Have you, have, you, have you attempted any? No, I hate it. Oh. What about I don't small like going hills? No, I don't like any of it. Have you done any Grahams? What's a Graham <laughs> again? I, I is, that that. Not, is that not a 2,000 to 3,000? Uh, that's a, a Corbett, Corbett then. Corbett, a Corbett so a Graham, is... a Graham's under 2,000. I go for the Graham's. No, the, the Graham's are Donald's. Are, oh. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, apart from anything else, the naming system is... <laughs> okay, so I'm going to talk about that. Right. Do I, but do, I, do I not get to say how many Munros I've done? Yeah, yeah, I was waiting to say. How many have you done? I think maybe about eight. <laughs> not very many. And I've done some... New, I've done, like, Ben Lomond I've done three times, maybe? Wow. Yeah. And uh, the old man... The old man... Is that... No, that's not... Is he called the old man? What's the other one? You're Ben Lomond. <laughs> Um, uh, the cobbler, the cobbler, not the old man. That's the old man at Coniston. I've done him, yeah. but he's not. He's not Inscom. Um, the cobbler, I've done maybe twice. The cobbler's not a Monroe. I hate to say. That. Oh, is it a whatever other it's person? A, was. I think it's a dog. Oh, I can't remember. I can't anyway, remember. It's over okay. Or not. I don't mind if it's not a Monroe. I just enjoy the experience. Uh, so I'm going to talk about Monroes. There are uh, well, they're over three thousand feet, and there are I, I wrote this down two hundred and eighty-two of them. At the moment, the Scottish Mountaineering Club holds a list, and it, there's some controversy. Sometimes, uh, survey techniques mean that the heights, I think, it has to be around 914 meters, and some hills are very, very close, and it depends how accurate they are. And then sometimes there's a d- debate about is something a genuine mountain on its own right, and it has a certain meters of a descent a, around it on either side, or is it really part of another mountain? But any of the moment, it's 282. I think I've climbed. 62 of them and the last one I climbed is the only one I can actually see from our house which is Mjolnir Egan which is in Glenline um, I don't know, can you see Ben Lomond from your houses? I don't know if either of you can If, no. I, if I walk up a hill, not from the house if I go up to Boris Cathkin Brays And coming down East Cathkin are the only hills I can see from mine Is that right? If I go out into the street I can see Cathkin <laughs> So, Or the East Cobride see- hills anyway <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if it's Cathy Brace. <laughs> but you never see East Cobride, it's always tucked over, isn't it? Anyway, yeah. there's all these different lists. Uh, so we talked about the Grahams. I can't remember what the Grahams are. We probably need to look that up. Corbett's are over 2,500. The Firths are the ones which are outside Scotland. Um, six in England, 15 in Wales, 13 in Ireland. Uh, there are the Murdos, which have to have 30 metres on either side. There's almost 400 of them. And the favourite list of mine, which is kind of the elite list of all the lists, are the Marlins. Now, a Marlin is any peak which has to have 150 metres on either side. And there's one, I think, that's in the middle of a shopping centre somewhere. Uh, There is, or at least in a road, some of them are sea stacks. And there are about 2,000 Marlins in the British Isles. I don't think anybody has climbed all the Marlins in the British Isles, but 10 people have climbed the ones in Great Britain, 1,557 of them. And they they speak to me of the love of lists. And, uh, and that got me thinking, there was somebody I read once who said there are two kinds of reader, those who love lists and those who can't stand them. And I think I've mentioned this before, and one of you, I can't remember who it was, said, who are the people that like lists? Because normally <laughs> we're like, oh, so dull. <laughs> uh, and yet the scripture is full of lists. Now, another way of thinking of a list, of course, is data. Uh, I used to work in IT and the handling of data and the storage of data is massively important in doing it well. It Lists are important. And for me, they point to the idea that everything matters. You hold a list of something because everything matters. And that for God, God loved the idea that there were 1,500 Marlins. No, not 1,556 of them. God wanted 1,557. And that's because God loves creating things. We talked about this quote last time. It's the G.K. Chesterton quote. And he talks about children have this great vitality because in spirit they are fierce and free. They are things, therefore they want things repeated. 
you always say do it again. And the growing up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But God is strong enough to exult in it. Is it possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun? (laughs) And every evening, do it again to the moon? It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes each daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. And I want to say that God never got tired of making Scottish mountains. He made one Munro and then he said, do it again and do it again, 282 times. And then God went and made all the Corbett's, maybe made them first, I don't know, and do it again, do it again. And it speaks to the vitality, the vibrancy of God. Very quickly, the other thing that I was very disappointed about when going on is the first ever Munroist was a minister. Used to get really so Hugh uh, Monroe was the one that came up with the list, but it was a uh, the Reverend E. E. Robertson, who later on became Minister of Praise of Rannoch, which is quite near me, uh, was the first to complete. Except he probably wasn't. I just discovered that this morning, so I was really gutted. Uh, he might not have climbed Ben Wivis, and there's definitely the inaccessible pinnacle he didn't go up to the top of. So I was really disappointed this morning when discovering that someone who was one of my heroes, a Church of Scotland minister, who was the first Monroeist, turned out not to be. So what do you do with that? When well, people maybe are your the heroes? list doesn't matter so much then. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's just the joy of climbing. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't matter how many you've done. Said the person who hates climbing. Oh, I hate climbing, but I like counting the number of lengths I swim in the swimming oh, pool. Yeah. And sometimes if yeah. I lose count, I feel frustrated. And then I think, it doesn't really matter as long as I'm enjoying swimming. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, maybe that's the point because A.E. Robertson, when he completed his last Monroe, um, which was Anna Higich in Glencoe, uh, the, the Meal Jerg, which is one of the ends of that big ridge, on reaching the summit, he famously kissed the cairn and then his wife. <laughs> Arguably, it should have been the other way around. <laughs> Lovely. Well, thank you for that, Neil. Um, I, I, I'm not even going to promise that I'm going to, you know, try and change my mind on it. I just don't like climbing. <laughs> all... You're going to make one of these like wild promises. Maybe I'm going to do all the Monroes. Maybe I'm going to become a Monroeist. <laughs> Actually, I am a Monroe. It's in my family, the name. Anyhow, uh, fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you nonetheless for your glovers off, even though it was about something that I don't enjoy. Uh, now, John 11, we've had quite an interesting chat before we've even started recording this morning, where we've all come in saying, whoa, John 11, it feels quite heavy. Jen, in particular, you are feeling the weight of this chapter, I think. Well, I, it's another one of these stories that I feel I, feel I should really enjoy because it's about Lazarus. Hey coming to life again and and of what's not to like about that but I struggle I I struggle with the whole thing of what this means for us now Uh, and and the grief of Mary and Martha and Jesus prolonging their grief and then their grief being changed but then my big thing is what does this mean for us now Mm because death is part of our life Um, I, I used to be a nurse in a hospice and so my background is very much how how do we help each other grieve? How do we realise that death is part is that part of life? And so when I read this story, I feel it goes against all these yeah. things. Like we're actually saying it's okay, Jesus can step in and he can reverse death. And I, I worry that what does this mean if people take this um into situations now and someone's died and they turn up 
and say, I'm going to pray that this person is not dead anymore and the damage that could do in a situation where someone has died and someone's just saying goodbye to them. And then, so there's lots of, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation because I hope I come out the other end with them. Um, more awareness of what Jesus is trying to teach me through what he did with Lazarus and not just my worries that we might use this Bible passage badly. I think that's my big concern. Yeah, Jen, I can identify a lot with what you're saying there. A great friend of mine, Rob, who's a priest now in Dublin, his first wife, Margaret, died in her early 20s of cancer. And she had had a long drawn out illness. Rob had been with her. It was utterly exhausting in the last hours of her life as um, Rob and Margaret's family waited around her bedside and at that moment and I can never remember if it was just after she died or just before that someone turned up at the hospice who Rob had never met before and said I've had a word from God that Margaret is to be healed and I remember how angry Rob was at that guy turning up because he was trying to say goodbye to his wife and now suddenly he was having to deal with this guy who I think was desperate to go in and pray with with Margaret and Rob wouldn't let her and it was that mentality again that that you're referring to I I think I think that's I think that's really true what you know what both of you said it resonates for me I think around the the difficulty I have in 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 um reconciling this chapter and and what it is teaching on the face of it about mm. about this experience in this the man of, in, in the life of this individual man with the reality of you know when I when I have people around about me who are facing situations of loss and, and bereavement and and we tread carefully into this area don't we I think that's maybe um where we where we begin with this can, can we begin with the the family itself so Lazarus Martha and Mary can we have a conversation about that I, I'm always quite intrigued about them I'm intrigued about where their parents were I'm intrigued about why it is that Mary and Martha appear to be I suppose they, they seem to lead within the family do you think Lazarus was younger just I think he had two very <laughs> dynamic uh, sisters I mean it's interesting but it's a, it's an unusual situation in the in its time that the three yeah. of them would be living together, isn't it? Because they, uh, we would expect that we, they would be married. Yes, yeah, so, so it's unusual. Yeah, that's right. None of them are married, it appears. There are no parents around. But more than that, in Luke's Gospel, I think it's called the House of Martha and Mary. Uh-huh. And at the start of John's Gospel here, it's called the village. It's called the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And, well, Mary seems to get a slight bit of even prominence there, there's there does seem to be some kind of very strong bond between Mary and and Jesus, um, and we'll we'll come to that later on with the anointing uh, story. So I I think there are two very dynamic women, and Jesus recognizes in them, I don't know, a, 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 a faith. A, a, the the expression that's used for Mary sitting at Jesus's feet um, is a technical meaning that, that effectively she becomes a student of the rabbi and rabbis never had female students. So I think there's something, I think Mary and, and Martha are very special women and have, um, and that kind of is represented in the way that it's called the village of Martha and Mary or the house of Martha and Mary. I always feel this chapter is where it, it kind of um, gives a bit more 
uh, depth to Martha as a character mm. as well, isn't yeah, it? Because yeah. if you just take the Luke account of Martha, the danger is always that we go to this, you know, Mary chose the better thing and Martha mm. was busying yeah. about doing the doing the food preparation. But but you get a, a clearer sense that Martha also has a, a theological depth to her, doesn't she? Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Martha that makes the statement. Mm-hmm. After Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and life, she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God is to come into the world i mean it's a great messianic statement there was not yeah, i don't know how many of yeah. them there are in john but that, that's what john is pointing to that this is who jesus is he's god's son he's the, cho- he's the chosen one he's he's god and the, it's martha that says that mm-hmm. and I, I just think in a in a church where we're still told sometimes that um women can't do this or that we need to ponder on what martha how martha is responding to jesus yeah she's i just wrote in my notes she's got it Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She's the one. Yes. And yet it comes out of a deep frustration with Jesus, doesn't it? That and those two are not opposed in the gospel. Being frustrated with Jesus and having faith in Jesus are not mutually incompatible. And you get the feeling that because Jesus turns up and they both say to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. I just find that such a profound statement. Anyway, how often do we say, Jesus, if you'd been there, this wouldn't have happened. Lord, if you'd been there, my brother wouldn't have died. But they both say the exact same statement. So I got the feeling that they have sat in that house for four days, totally fed up with Jesus and saying again and again, if Jesus had been there, this wouldn't have happened. Living in the scenario of what would have happened if God had shown up. Um, and yet, of course, the story is that God does show up. I, and I think even that conversation about Mary and Martha is helping me with this chapter because I'm reflecting that in my experience of it being preached or being it being explored with children, it's all about Lazarus, uh-huh. usually involving toilet paper because you wrap some. <laughs> yes, that's right. You've wrapped well, somebody yeah, up right. and you burst out with the toilet paper, and it's all focused on Lazarus and in the his miraculous resurrection, which yes. is an important part of the story. Mm. How many words does Lazarus say in the chapter? I think it's zero, isn't it? I don't think. Does Lazarus say anything in the Bible? I don't think he does. Because I tend to remember these Martha things because I Mary try to think do. about how they sound. Do you know? What number do? So it, let, let, let's kind of break this down then, the chapter. So it's it's episodic. Uh, Neil, you you were going to, I think, yeah. help us kind of think that through. And then we'll work through, we'll work through those episodes, I think. Mm-hmm. There are six episodes in the chapter. John loves uh, an episodic chapter, and this is one of them. So verses 1 to 16, Jesus and the disciples are discussing because they've heard that Lazarus has died. Will we go up to Bethany despite the danger? Verses 17 to 27 happens on the edge of Bethany. Uh, Jesus is just arriving and Martha comes out to meet him. Verses 28 to 37, that's scene three, as Martha and Mary uh, Mary eventually comes out to meet Jesus. They have further discussions. The final scene of the straight Lazarus story, scene four, which is verses 38 to 44, where it's at the tomb. And then there's a kind of post-epilogue scene where the council meet to discuss this. So that's kind of scene five. And then the final scene in the chapter is Jesus going to Ephraim uh, in order to escape and and to hide and to, to keep a low profile for a while. Great. So let's work our way through those those episodes. Then. So, so let's begin with that uh, first part of the chapter where Jesus hears, Jesus and the disciple hear that the, the one he loves is sick. Beautiful phrase, isn't it? The one you love is sick. And yet he chooses not to go immediately. What, what, what is going on with that? 
And that, that's one of these, another really bit hard about the story. And uh-huh. it, it took me back to when we talked about um, when it says in the, with the blind man story that Jesus didn't, um, he, he healed him to show God's glory. And we had that conversation about, you know, was the guy just blind so that Jesus could turn up and mm-hmm. show his glory? And that phrase is used here again. It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Yeah. And, and Jesus doesn't even say, he doesn't send a message to Mary and Martha saying, you know, I'm going to be delayed or hey, hang on, I'll be there when I can, I'll be okay. <laughs> he just doesn't say anything and he doesn't go and he dies. And there's, you know, we many of us listening and we know of that pain of the first few days of grief and the darkness that you're in and the deep loss. And he, Jesus puts Mary and Martha into that situation. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that is, and that's if we don't find that hard when we read it, mm-hmm. then we're, we're not really engaging with the story. Mm-hmm. So rather than Jesus turning up healing them and Lazarus not having to die, he 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 puts these women into this awful situation. But as I think about it, I, I do know that that is what life is like. You know, so often I've said to Jesus, "Why? Why am I here? Why am I in this situation?" Um. Yeah, so Jesus' behaviour again, you know, just so many questions about why he's doing that, doing what he did. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? Verse, I'm just looking at verse 15. So when he's talking to the disciples, Lazarus is dead, he says, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you might believe, but let us go to him. Mm. It, it is hard, Jen. Yeah. And it, 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 the yeah. words sound harsh. And yet we know that later on in the chapter, we're, we're going to encounter that, that very short verse that says, that Jesus wept over the mm-hmm. situation. So it's not that he's not feeling this. And there's something, that thing about the disciples is part of his delay because this is all about preparing, this is hugely about preparing the disciples mm-hmm. for what, what's going to lie ahead, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Jesus' own death. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, he wants them to go with him to Lazarus' tomb and see this happening. But again, some ways that doesn't really help because you think, oh, well, that's very good for the disciples <laughs> that you're giving them this ex- learning experience. But Mary and Martha are your disciples as well. Uh, and so there's this whole, it's the paradox of faith, isn't it? We, we know that being people of faith is a paradox, that we know God loves us, we know he brings light and life, he is the resurrection and life, and yet we live in a world that's full of pain and suffering and difficulties and things aren't the way we would want them to be. And yet we follow on with Jesus. Imagine when we follow Jesus, because we know where else, as Peter said. But then you've got the Thomas statement. I hope that's in this first section. Um, it is. Yeah, it is. Let us also go that we may die with him. We're just like, <laughs> you know, I relate to that. So I'm like, well, I, everything's awful, but I'll just keep going. I'll go I'll go with you, because what else are we going to do? Going, going back to what you're saying, it just waiting just compounds the pain, mm, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And yet that is the... That's the experience of, of life, as you as you said there. I think sometimes of people who phone up hospitals or uh, doctor surgeries for results, and sometimes there are policies in place that say only the doctor's allowed yes. to tell you what the result is. And people are going, can you not just tell me? Yes. And, and they say, I can't. You have to wait until you see the doctor. Mm-hmm. And it feels like one of those scenarios that Jesus pushes it out. And the, the only reason is that somehow in the mystery... Somehow, in the other end of this, this is going to be better for the waiting. The, the waiting, you know, why is it Jesus is raised on the third day and not on the second mm-hmm. day? Mm-hmm. Why these extra days? And in fact, doesn't it say, isn't there a phrase that it says, even though he loved him, he waited or something? There is a verse that um, 
Yeah, verse 5. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Mary and Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. It's almost as if John knows that this is a problem. Even though he loved them, he stayed two days longer. And, and so that, that raises a question for me as well about what's going on with Jesus and the disciples during those two days. Mm. What, what are they doing? They're I mean, wait, I know, I know, but... But, but how yeah, but are no, they but waiting? That, isn't that the point? You, uh-huh. Isn't that the point, though? Uh-huh. That, that, that waiting is is, is empty. Yes. You're you're going. Oh, they must have been doing something else. Well, no, they were just waiting. No, but what I'm imagining is is what is going on in that period of waiting, which uh-huh. is that very human experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Of not understanding, of finding yourself in that grey area space of, I, I don't understand what has happened and what is about to happen. Yeah. And there is nothing yeah. I can do to control. Well, I suppose with Jesus, there was something he could have done because as Martha uh-huh. Mary said, if you'd been here. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. wouldn't have happened. Mm. And he choose, often we find ourselves in waiting situations because from our perspective, something externally has gone wrong and we're just having to wait. We have no control. Yes. But what makes this mm. harder is that Jesus is choosing to do this. He's yes. creating the waiting space. Yeah, yeah. But, and again, that's, but that's, the God perspective and our perspective. You no, know, we only see that we're waiting, but God sees the bigger picture. And I know, I, I mean, I know people have said to me in my life, you know, oh, but Jen, God was in this. And at the time I'm just so, I'm so troubled by something that I don't, I can't hear that. I don't want to be told that God's got a bit bigger plan for me because at the moment I just don't want to be here. And it's years yeah. later, sometimes you can look back and you can see that. And it's not always helpful to say that at the particular time. I don't know that it's ever helpful to say it at the particular time. Genuinely, I've really thought about this a lot over the years that I think in in myself, I recognise a tendency to almost, um, outsource is not the word, but to make my grief go out because if I can somehow logically make sense of, oh, well, there'll be some plan and purpose that's part of this and, and it will all make sense to me in years to come. I don't think that's genuinely dealing with, with no, grief and, no, not and, and feeling no. the pain of something. Mm. And we do tend to do that to one another. We t- we tend to try and help people, I think, by explaining or even saying, it, I might not be able to explain, but one day you will be able to look back and explain. And that, that, that denies, the, denies the waiting, denies the grief, doesn't it? So there's a thing that happens in, in times of grieving. I, I can't remember, there's a name for it. The, the, the circle of um, grieving where the people very, very closest to the thing, they can say whatever they like. And uh, there's people further out than you. So there might be, say, I don't know, a partner, and then there might be parents, and there might be more distant relatives and so on. But basically, the people who are closer to the inside of the circle, you, you can't say anything you want to them. You've got, but the people on the out can speak to the outside. They can say anything they want. Mm-hmm. There, there's something about censorship about what you can say. But if you're in the situation with people, you, you are allowed to say what you think. So, you, you know, you were saying about, you know, in a grieving situation, somebody... You know, it's not very helpful if they come along and and say that. But if that person genuinely is totally in it with you, like say, then they are allowed to say things to you that that no one else is allowed to say. Yes, because and that's truthful, that, not platitudinal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I think in that space, you can say the difficult kind of maybe there is a purpose to this or 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 those sorts of things. What's interesting to me is that because Jesus is so tightly bound to Lazarus and Martha mm. and Mary, because he loves them almost in that very inner sanctum of grief and loss, he's, he, he is allowed to do things which no one, which he 
which would be more difficult if he didn't love them so much. So if it was simply the widow at Nain with whom he has no connection at all, I don't think he could wait the two days. Uh But there's something about the fact because he loves Lazarus and Martha and Mary so much, he he has a latitude to push this out uh, because he knows that something bigger is going to happen. Very interesting. So, so I think that's us that we've thought about scene one. Scene two is that moment where Martha comes out to meet. So Jesus now chooses to go after four days. He's been Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Um, they travel this two mile journey to Bethany, um, where uh, others have then gathered. So it's become a kind of village event, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. And Martha comes out to meet him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, I mean, she makes these remarkably faithful statements in the midst of all of this, doesn't mm-hmm. she? Yeah, I think it's important that we we think ourselves into a Near Eastern context or an Asian context when we think of this. When I lived in India, the the bishop, Bishop Samuel Amartya, was a huge figure in the diocese where we were because church life just was all encompassing. It was huge and he was a big, big man. And he had a driver. He had a a chauffeur driven car to, to get around. And his driver was a man called Silveraj. Anyway, Silveridge would have been a man in his 20s, a big, big guy. And Silveridge, one day, I think in the bishop's car, although the bishop wasn't there, I think, oh, no, the bishop was in the crash, I think. There was a car crash and Silveridge was killed and and the bishop survived. And I remember going to Silveridge's funeral because he was a well-known figure in the diocese as well. Hundreds of people were there. And I... The, the casket was open, Silveridge was lying there, and his, his mother and father and his sisters were literally perched with their hands on the edge of the casket. I mean, it was just so literally in your face. And you could feel the grief it was, as people wailed and wept. And I can imagine that's what the scene was like, of weeping and wailing for Lazarus, this young man who's taken yeah. too early. And then I remember the hush when the bishop finally arrived at the funeral maybe we'd been there for two hours almost and he arrived and there was a kind of hush as he walked in he was wearing white and I can imagine a similar moment in amongst the wailing suddenly Jesus is here and then Martha goes and as you said said those incredibly profound words and 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 in some senses those are words of a general faith aren't they we'll all be resurrected on the last Mm -hmm, day mm -hmm. But Jesus forces it to be specific. Yeah. And and maybe that flows out of the waiting. Do you know what you mm. talked about about being in the inner circle, that he knows he can yeah. he can push her towards the, the the truth and what you know, just Jen, you mentioned about you know, this this learning point for the disciples, but there's learning point for, for Martha and for Mary, I guess for Lazarus as well, although we don't know because he doesn't say anything. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, that, that there is something that they learn through all of this. It's like yeah, kind of head-to-heart yeah. stuff, isn't it? And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't turn up and merely, he, he does comfort them completely and he's totally involved in the grieving. And and I think sometimes when I've thought about weeping, I've thought of a kind of Western weeping, but your description there, Neil, you know, he, he's really crying. This is, is mm. and um, But he, he's also pointing them to what he's going to do. He's not hiding this anymore. Now he's waited the two days, but he, he's got, this is what I am going to do. He's He's telling them, we're going to go to the tomb and, Lazarus is going to be here again mm-hmm. so it's an intra- it's a fascinating conversation really and, um, yes, and because also, he yeah. knows he, he knows yeah. what's going to happen and, and yet yeah. so yeah 
and and just while we're still on that on that second scene, so so Mary, what? Why do we think she stays at home? <laughs> she's so annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe she's angry. She. I wonder if she she can't face that. You know that uh-huh. when you're in grief and you're just like I, I can't I can't go and deal with that as well as all the other stuff I'm dealing with and. And, and she's going to go to Jesus and she's going to say again, as Martha has said, uh, if you had been here. And, you know, when you're really angry with someone and you, you want to confront them on something, you, you hold back. I don't, I, yeah. You know, these are all just conjectures. But again, it's what we, that reimagining of the story of what is going on. And But she immediately goes. It's, it's when Martha says to her, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. Is it, mm-hmm. is it like, oh, well, I've got these feelings about Jesus at the moment, but if he's asking for me, I do want to be with him because that love is there, that intimacy of relationship that we've talked about. So she goes quickly and everybody goes with her. <laughs> it's, it's dramatic, isn't it? Um, they want to know where she's going. There's a, there's an interesting thing about Mary that she's singled out. At the very beginning of the story, we're told that the village is the village of mm. Mary and Martha. It's almost Mary's given a slight prominence mm. there. Mm-hmm. And then we've got further added even though we haven't been told this story yet, that Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Mm. So we've got already that picture of that very, very intimate moment, which I know we'll we'll come to in the next episode. So we know that the, the relationship between Jesus and Mary is almost uniquely bounded. There, there, there's a very strong connection. And as you said, Jen, maybe because the connection is so close and that this sense of letdown is all the more heightened. And then there's that interesting question. So Martha goes to um, Mary and says, the teacher is calling for you. Now we're never told that Jesus has actually (laughs) said that. So it might be that Jesus has said that and and Martha's passing it on, or maybe Jesus didn't say that, Mm -hmm. but Martha knew that that was the thing that she had to say to get her sister Uh to get moving because Jesus has has called Mm -hmm. for you. And it's Mary's tears that bring on Jesus' tears. Yeah. But isn't it? It's not until Mary goes... Yes, that's right. And she and Jesus mm-hmm. saw her weeping. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you? yeah, yeah. And he was deeply moved. And Jen, you were saying about about that deeply moved phrase. Yeah, it, it seems to be the translation of that is is more a kind of gut wrenching sort of anger, mm. um, not just deeply moved as in sad. But then we know that sadness has all these emotions, don't we? That you know, there's an anger, yeah. a frustration, a, a resp- What is Jesus responding to here? Is it Mary's tears on its own, or is it the, the he's God, so that he knows that death is the great enemy, the destructor of life, the the sin, the brokenness of the world, the sort of epitome, isn't it, is of of our broken world is death. So is he feeling that godly anger against death? Is he feeling godly anger against? Well, he knows the Jews are there. There's a comment on that. Uh, he saw who was who had come along with her. The people who were there, did he know that there was going to be doubt and question, more questions to come? Well, he did, yes. <laughs> They're still not going to believe. Is there anger about that? So there could be lots of, you know, what 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 what, what is promoting Jesus' tears here? Is he crying for even more than Lazarus? I mean, it's enough to cry yes. for Lazarus, <laughs> but is he crying for the world? And what, because he knows. And for uh, himself. For himself, with what lies ahead, because we haven't yep. touched on that really, have we? That for the, Jesus knows, but by going to Lazarus, by calling Lazarus out of the tomb it's going to be the next step on his journey to the tomb yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yes, it's not. It can't just be the a, a pure kind of literal sadness for Lazarus because in 15 minutes mm-hmm. time, Jesus knows that he's going to resurrect him. Mm-hmm. So I think it has to be all the things that, that you've just said. Mm-hmm. And I think text supports that yeah. because it says when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who also came with her. I remember, you know, the, the text is very often quite hostile to quotes the Jews, but here Jesus looks at the Jews with absolute compassion. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, and these are and some of them are going to be his enemies. We're going to see that in in verse forty five. Some of those Jews may well be the ones who go and tell on him to the Pharisees, mm-hmm. and yet on the council, and yet when he sees them weeping, he weeps. Yeah, yeah. And you get called William Rutherford, oh, a wonderful saint of God. William Rutherford, he had a very deep voice, and he he had done many things in his life. He was a doctor in India. He'd done research, which had led to um seatbelts being introduced in the in UK law he wrote hymns and he also um, was part of the founding of the Corrie Mila community in Northern Ireland a reconciliation community and he he said he once said why why did Jesus weep when he knew was he was about to raise Lazarus and he said exactly the same thing that you just said Jenny said I think he wept for all the grief of all the people there Mm -hmm. who were weeping for everybody Mm -hmm. that they had lost Mm -hmm. And and has he held all that in these two days, these three days, that, mm, that waiting? Mm. Almost like because, the dam. Yeah, because my question birth. is still standing. What, what was happening in those those days of waiting? There was waiting, but what is waiting? Is waiting about, the, it's about prayer and, and, and about, yeah, the building of the, of the surge of emotion, isn't it? Yeah. Of the, is, uh, and the reconciliation with the reality of what's going on. Is it a wee bit... Is that a, a taste of what will come in the Garden of Gethsemane? Mm. 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 It's the other time Jesus cries. Is yeah. Struggles. Yeah. Yeah. So then we, then we move on to, to the, is it the pinnacle of this story? This moment when it, it, yeah. Lazarus is brought out. Lazarus is called out of that cave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the command is, is there. The denouement. Is that what you call it in dramatic yeah, circles? The denouement, yeah. The, although... Yeah, I suppose it is the denouement. Although that would suggest that there was an element of surprise and discovery. And there is surprise and discovery when somebody <laughs> comes out of the tomb, I guess. <laughs> like one of the... Yeah, well, surprise us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking more from the reader's point of view that we, we kind of know he's going to do it. But I mean, maybe I, we I only do know feel for Jesus. For. <laughs> yeah. um, I do feel for Jesus there. And anyone who's involved in any form of leadership, you know, you can... You can see the Jew, the, the, it's, it's in the mouth of the um, some of the crowd there. It, well, he opened the eyes of the blind, but he couldn't raise them from the dead, could he? You know, like, what is the poor guy meant to be able to do here? Butter, 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 isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you want from me? But then there's, there, are they not just saying the same thing as Martha and Mary have said? Mm. Which is, if yeah. you were here, Lord, yes, Lazarus would not have died. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's that disappointment. Yeah. They're just disappointed. Yeah. yeah. Somebody said about leadership that uh, leadership is about being able to disappoint people at a rate that at which they can absorb. Oh, that's helpful. That's good, actually. Yeah. yeah. Jesus is doing that. Uh, I wrote in my notes at that bit where it says, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I just wrote, indeed! Exclamation <laughs> mark. And I feel like I would have been, I'd have been there like, come on. <laughs> Where have you been? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then Jesus, so, Jesus is strangely dramatic in this section as well. So they take a stone and then Jesus, he looks up and he, he talks to his father 
um, but he says, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that because you need to hear it because you know this already. I'm saying that so the people here will hear. Um, so it's again, it's a, it's like the whole thing. Uh, we talked about the disciples getting read, being prepared or learning from what Jesus is doing in this whole situation. But even this moment when he calls out, Lazarus doesn't have to do that verbally, but he's doing it so the people round about know that God hears him. Yes. Yeah. And and so that I mean you you know you mentioned this is the final sign I guess so that some of those people around about him will then go and report him in order that a series of events will a chain of events which is how I described the described the chapter well, very good and, and of course the irony is that the next person who's going to be in grave clothes in the in the whole story is is Jesus mm-hmm. himself mm-hmm. it's like it's like that poignancy that you always get in medical dramas when the point happens where the where the surgeon themselves ends up being the one on the table. Yes. This is, Jesus is going to be himself going to be the one in the tomb, the one who needs the stone rolled away. There's a, there's that poignancy of pointing forward there. Yeah, I, mean, I never, again, this, uh, more we talk, the more I see in this story. And when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, you know, it, it made me think of the tomb that Jesus will be in. And it's mm-hmm. going to be God. I don't know if God comes and says, come out, or how how is Jesus resurrected? But it, mm-hmm. so much point towards that. And and Jesus' resurrection will not just be one person resurrected, but will be, is the hope for all of us. Yes. As Jesus has already said, I am the resurrection and yes. life. So this, although it's incredible for us that this is happening to Lazarus, it does point completely. And we expe- you know, it's like we're experiencing in some ways what will happen to Jesus which will be a yeah. much bigger thing, the glory of God. It, it, so it makes it makes me think as well, though, about the disciples, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, I guess. Yeah. When when that event happens, they still seem to struggle to to anticipate that, that Jesus is going to rise from the dead, even though they have witnessed this. Do, do, does, does Mary struggle to believe that Jesus is going well, to rise well I was I was wondering about that because I was just trying to get clear in my own head about which Mary's went to the tomb yeah hmm. yeah because there was Magdalene wasn't there was there's yeah. a lot there are a and lot of Mary's it gets quite Mary. confusing doesn't it about who's yeah so a friend of mine says they were short of Christian names in those <laughs> days so, um, I mean Mary clearly the... anticipates something because well, well, well I don't want to preempt next next time but in chapter 12 that's when we we read about that anointing, and that's clearly an anointing for burial, isn't it? Yes, and there, as a, many female biblical scholars for years, men goes, isn't that lovely that she didn't know that she was anointing him for burial, and yet she did, and it, it's been female biblical scholars who have come along and said, actually, she probably did know. Uh-huh. She did understand what was and, going and I get, on but, but, but in answer to, to the point I'm raising, that was anointing for burial, wasn't anointing for resurrection. Oh, it was anointing for resurrection. You think about yeah. it, I suppose. It, it, yeah, it yeah. is interesting, isn't it? I suppose. I suppose. I mean, the, the the simplistic point about it being that no matter how um, prepared you are for something by God, it it nonetheless can take you by surprise. Hmm. I w- I would love to have more information about when Lazarus comes out and Jesus says, "Take off the grave clothes and let him go." I want I want to know what happened and what the conversation was and what he says and what his experience has been for these days four days that he's been in the tomb and um but does that tell us about something about him about Lazarus that we don't Mm. then hear any more about him 
so so having been through that extraordinary experience is there a hum- humility hmm. that says the i don't, I don't I, want to make this yeah. about me and my yeah. experience because yeah. that could have been the way this went must have been a party though uh yeah <laughs> the, place, the place i go with this is is the isaac story because um well the isaac story is called the binding and this is an unbinding and the the Isaac when uh, Abraham takes him up the mountain, Isaac is always silent, mm. and and Isaac is a a very interestingly silent figure, and yet he's the one, he's the one who's loved, and it feels to me that Lazarus is an equivalently silent figure, surrounded by these great actors Martha and Mary and Jesus, and and yet he's he's still loved. And do you think that word that was used for Lazarus, which is you know shows that he was really really loved, especially especially loved. Uh, by Jesus, maybe be. I mean, I read somewhere it could have been the, the loved disciple, the beloved disciple, and that means he would have been at the Last Supper. And so, do you think Lazarus wrote the gospel? Because hmm? a beloved disciple writes the gospel. So, is this gospel? Yeah, no, I mean, I yeah. mean, it's it's speculation. So, the majority of you is it's it's John, but yeah. some people think it, it was actually Lazarus who was the beloved disciple yeah. who was at the Last Supper and who wrote down the gospel. Because then that. It would make this just what you said, Fiona. It would make this this story writing of his resurrection un- more understandable, wouldn't it? Because yes. it's him. Yeah. Yes, it's him yeah. that's writing the story, and that's why there's no words. And now a man mm. named Lazarus was ill. But uh-huh. You can see how it. You can see how it could be him, and he would know his sister so well. Uh-huh. He, he would know their, they, their relationship it. with Jesus. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. And interestingly, we don't learn anything about what happened for Lazarus in those four days. Because that's the question people would ask now, isn't it? Yep, yep. Yeah. Oh, what, what was, was it like? like? Yeah. Death. It's like the miners. Mm-hmm. Who yeah, out. what was it and like? And it's not, it's not yeah. a near-death experience, it's a death experience. Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's why they all, they all follow him, don't they? They they go into Jerusalem because Lazarus is there with Jesus. They mm-hmm. want to, not mm-hmm. just because of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so let's move on. So so that's moving on to the the fifth scene, which is the council meeting yeah. that we that we talked about. Yeah. So the after effect after the party. <laughs> and this is this is very important for John because John's point with the 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 Lazarus healing is that is what is the cause of Jesus needing to be killed. It is because he he undermines the religious security of the establishment by the power of his ability to bring life that that's this this is the thing and john will repeatedly say it's because he raised a jesus because he raised lazarus in matthew mark and luke we're just simply told in a slightly more general way that the pharisees were jealous of the miracles that jesus did john is much more specific it was this miracle it was the raising to life and here's the logic that gets them there where they're saying we're going to be in trouble if if this out of control man is allowed to carry on, then we're going to lose the people. The Romans are going to come and destroy us, and we have to act to protect the institution. Mm-hmm. This always takes me to a beautiful story that's told by Henri Nouon in his book. I think it's the Wounded Healer where he tells us, where he tells the story of a, a fugitive man who runs away to a village, and in the mountains in a military dictatorship. And the villagers give him uh, security. A few days later, the the army turn up with a whole band of soldiers with guns and basically say to the village elders, 
if you do not hand over this fugitive to us, then we will kill everybody in your village. And so the elders come together and and they make the, the, the it's a hugely overwrought decision, but actually they feel they've got no choice. Mm-hmm. And so they hand back the the man to the, the soldiers. So the, no one tells a story of the villagers, they get together and in some level it's a difficult decision but on another level it's not a difficult decision they have to give the man up and so they do that they explain to him it's either you or all of us and so they give him up and later on an angel appears to the village elders and says did you not see in the christ did you not see in the face of the young man the face of jesus you made the wrong choice and that that story has always brought me to this moment where people vote to protect the collective and to sacrifice the individual mm-hmm. and this story here along with Nuon's story tells me that's actually the wrong choice yeah and and how many committee meetings have we been in where we felt oh we have to do the right thing for the collective and so somebody is really going to be hurt because of that and yet we still decide that the person has to be hurt that's a decision that gets taken here yeah by the council members and there's this curious prophecy from Caiaphas. Mm. I, I find that fascinating that, that he who, yeah, we, I, I said before we started recording, he's like kind of boohist baddie, isn't he, Caiaphas? Yeah. There's not a good said, word said about him. And yet he speaks this this word of prophecy that is that is true. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like God can inhabit his mouth mm-hmm. to cause him to say things which are inspired. Mm-hmm. But God won't change him mm-hmm. to be the the person who who lets Jesus off. It's it, once again it points to the curious action of God yeah. moving in and ways it makes we don't it makes understand. me think about Saul, Old Testament Saul, not not Saul Paul, but Saul, hmm. who was used by God nonetheless. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Interesting, isn't yeah. it? You feel a kind of sympathy for him there. I mean, uh-huh. Judas is the, was, the yes, ultimate figure yeah. in that sense. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, I suppose we'll come back to we'll come back to talk more about that and. Um, in a later episode so and the result the, the scene six is that that jesus is no longer able to move around publicly mm. amongst the people of judea um but he can, can we can we just mm. sorry you just fly back to the yeah? committee meeting i'm sure all of us have, have been in the situation <laughs> as we? well <laughs> yeah yeah well yes that's the point because we all you know anybody who's involved in christian stuff knows what it is to go to committee meetings and caiaphas is the person who holds the weight of the meeting but is also the slightly well the conservative the cautious voice mm-hmm. and i'm sure we've all been in situations where we just we've come out of meetings because we've been desperate for the right thing to happen and then somebody got up who was very very sensible and had the gravitas and was very serious and they were the one who said oh no we're not going to do the thing and we were just devastated Mm -hmm. and that's what happens in that meeting that's just part of the christian story is to go to i mean it almost sounds facile but to go to meetings like that and then and then the writer puts in that lovely wee kind of explanation doesn't he um, explaining it gets quite carried away but it didn't say this just for the Jewish nascent nation mm. but also for the scattered yes. children of God yeah, to yes. bring them together yeah. and make them one yes. Yeah. yes so from that day on they plotted to take his life yes and yeah it's not the and as Jesus will on the cross when Jesus says it's finished and we talked about that in mm. our Easter short uh-huh. podcast didn't we that it's not just about it being the end it's a completion and it it takes you to that moment as well, doesn't it, where um, 
the 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 extra bit where Jesus said, "I have other sheep, not of the sheepfold," mm-hmm. is of that similar kind of <laughs> feel to it. Yeah yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So yes, so we, we move inexorably after this point towards the mm. events of crucifixion and and, uh, and resurrection. Anything else that anybody wanted to talk about? Neil, I had jotted down that you wanted to talk about the Manchester Passion. Oh, yeah, the I, I love. I mean, this is something you both talk about, um, where great art fills or points to the gospel. And I'm always amazed that one of the great songs of the the Manchester bands, the Stone Roses, who are known for a kind of rave hippie culture, was "I Am the Resurrection and the Life" by the Stone Roses, which is the last song on the big album which is called the stone roses i think and for me the 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 big moment i always remember of that in the manchester passion which which took a lot of songs from manchester and used them to tell the story of jesus is the the moment at the end where it feels like they've gone for a very realistic interpretation keith allen who plays pontius Pilate, says that's it that's the end of the story he's all gone you don't believe in fairy stories do you and it feels like that's the end of fact i think even credits begin to roar something like that you can see it on youtube and then suddenly high up on a clock tower um the jesus appears surrounded in light and white just singing I am the resurrection <laughs> and I am the life. And it's just this beautiful cry of life. And I think that one of the reasons I can I can hold to this story is not because I believe that Jesus necessarily brings as a matter of course dead people back to life but because of John's understanding that the life of Jesus now infuses our current experience that the resurrection resurrection life is present here and I sense that in that moment as as the Jesus cries out I am the resurrection the life I think where today is a resurrection and life in my living where do dead things come alive yeah, and I think, and that's reflected in the the Martha conversation, isn't it? When she says, "I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last days," but Jesus says, "I am the resurrection." It's like mm. now, and it's like mm. these things that we look to in the future in God's kingdom are actually here and now because yeah. of Jesus. Yeah, and and the if only is transformed uh, because of that feeling of if only throughout the story. If only if he'd been here, if only. But he is here. And and Jesus is the one we can say to come and see, come and be part of of yeah. of what's going on now. Yes, in the in the if only if the in the if only of now, which is which is I think why art and you know anything, most most things so many things culturally, resonate with those questions of the if only, don't they? Because mm. they're questions of life and death. If only. Yeah. Great. Let's let's wind this part of the conversation to to close. Do we have things we want to take away? My question, Jen, for you is: Have we helped you? Yes, hugely. And and interestingly, by not even really <laughs> directly grappling with my problem in a way, because just by going deeper into the story and thinking about the other things that happened, I've just yeah, I do have a diff, totally different perspective on the story than what I came to. And we didn't even talk about my problem of what you know maybe how how do we use this and the when people misuse this story if you like and think mm-hmm. nobody should die now, mm-hmm. um, and I think just what Neil's finished on there you know that Jesus is Jesus is the resurrection and the life now in all our 
if only situations. Mm. So yes, I don't. I I feel emotionally uh, quite different. So that's good. a good sign. That's a good sign. <laughs> We're glad. We're glad. <laughs> do you have, Neil? Do you have a takeaway? I think it's probably the moment where Mary's just with Jesus and that that connection that they have. When Je- I had never noticed that before. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews, who some of whom are in enemies who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed. That, yeah. That verse. Yeah. I'm further intrigued by Lazarus. Yeah. I, I, I'm intrigued by Lazarus. Mm, Lazarus in his silence. Lazarus in his silence, who nonetheless, he, he resonates through the centuries, doesn't he? he mm. He's become a, a, a code word really for for resurrection, hasn't he? The word Lazarus. Yeah, yeah, there's an expression, isn't there? Is that not the greatest comeback since Lazarus or something? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, he's frequently mentioned, isn't he, in art and culture. Anyway, so I want to go investigate him a little bit more. Lovely. Thank you very much to both of you. Uh, we are going to be in John 12 next time, but before that, it's going to be time for a Jen's Gem. Yes, and my gem today is really actually just to plug someone else's resource because the brilliant people at Youthscape, you can find them on the internet, we'll put the link in, have produced a, an examine mug. Now, if you're a faithful listener, then you'll know that we've talked about examine before, that idea at the end of a day where you have some questions with God and you look back in your day and you look forward to the next day. So the Youthscape have produced this mug, which just has uh, four simple questions on it to help you reflect on the day. Um, where has God felt most present today? Where have I felt most distant from God? Who or what should I be praying for? And how I, do I feel about the day ahead? And I've bought this for three young people um, who I know quite well who come to a, a regular house group in my house um, because I, I think it really helps me <laughs> to think about my day with God and I think they'd enjoy it. So I'd really encourage you to um, have a look at that. If you're looking maybe particularly at this time of year to give something different to people because um, we quite often give gifts, don't we, in church? at this time of year, um, p- people who really would be appreciate having a wee help when they're having their hot chocolate at night or a cup of tea, whatever they drink, um, uh, to think through their day with God. An examine mug from Youthscape. It's a lovely thing. I like the idea of, of getting into the, the habit of drinking something from that mug. Hmm. And, and you can do it in the morning as well. I, mean, I, didn't, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't actually don't drink hot drinks that much just before I go to bed. But uh, with my breakfast coffee the other day, I was looking at the, thinking with God about the day before and he said some God said some very interesting things to me during that conversation. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so we'll put the link in the show notes to that. Yeah. Just to, uh, from the, just to check that's how how do you spell examine in that context? E X A M E N. Yeah, so it's it's not the usual examine. Well how how would you spell it? Well examine is not Oh yes, you, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Examine yeah. someone. Yes. Yeah, like a, so a just, doctor. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so it's a noun, not a verb. I wonder yeah. what they're calling it actually on the website. I think, but um, hang on a minute. Will I do that now? Or we could just put that. Well, in no, that's just, okay. just we can, a, we can, if anyone's not familiar with the contemplative tradition of the examine. Yes, I, yes, I will right. put a link to it in the show notes, <laughs> so you can find that. You can find that in the show notes from there. Yeah, well, thank you very much to both of you. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Next time, as I say, we'll be talking about John twelve, um, where we continue the story of Mary and and Jesus and their um, their relationship and events continue to unfold towards the crucifixion and the resurrection so join us then for more outspoken conversation but in the meantime thank you so much for listening 